0: before I get some scolding from the crowd there. All right, thank you so much, Brother Dean, for being with us and leading us in worship today. Uh, It is so nice to have someone here uh, leading the church in person like that. It just uh, doesn't replace that. You can't replace that through uh, technology, can you? All right, it is so good to see everyone here today, and it is my pleasure to be able to open God's Word with you right now. We are in the second week of this sermon series we said we were going to undertake that I called What We Believe and Why We Believe It. And uh, this week will be the first week actually looking at one of the pieces of our statement of faith uh, that we have posted for the world to see that everybody who's a member has agreed that they're in agreement with uh, what's in that statement. So um, we're going to have one text in particular we're going to use to kind of uh, look at. So if you would open your Bibles up with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we'll just read that together as we get started today, because if I don't now, I'll probably get lost and won't come back to it. And I always like to start with God's Word when we uh, come together in this way, right? There is no more sure foundation, and it would be uh, quite ironic if I didn't start with God's Word today, given a sermon titled, uh, The Word of God and Why We Believe It. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to start reading at uh, uh, verse 12. Paul writes this to Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, and we open your word, Lord, and we just ask you to reveal yourself to us through it. Father, as we, as we look inside of ourselves, as we look inside of ourselves as a church, and we ask this question, what is it we believe? Lord, let all of our beliefs line up with who you say you are. And anything that comes from me, anything that comes from my own mind or my own imagination, Lord, let that just fall away uh, for the lie that it is. And let us believe you because you are the one who is true. You are the one who gives us truth. And Lord, we believe you because you said it, Father. So Father, uh, reveal yourself to us in this way so that we may have faith, Lord, to trust in you. It is so sweet, Lord, to trust in your son Jesus, Lord. Give us grace now that we might trust you more. Father, it's in uh, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Like I said, this is week two of this sermon series that we're looking at as we start the new year of uh, what we believe and why we believe it. In our statement of faith, the first line that we come up to, if you were to look at it online, this first topic that is listed is titled The Word of God. And that statement, I've got it posted up there for you to, to see now too, but we'll go ahead and read it. I'll read it to you right now. It says, We believe that the Bible is the Word of God fully inspired and without error in the original manuscripts, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and that it has supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. That's the statement of faith. That's the first line from our statement of faith that we we say we believe as a church. As we think upon that statement of belief today, and we look at the scripture that we have just read, and a few of the others that we'll pick from as we go along, and what it says, uh, we're going to think about um, some of the implications that it has for us in our life, right? Because this has real practical and philosophical implications. Implications that we have to wrestle with as Christians and as people who say we want to be intellectually honest and uh, we want to be able to uh, say we believe this and we want to give reasons for why we believe this because the Bible tells us we should be ready uh, to give those reasons, right? And so, right now, as uh, as we have that in mind, I think uh, let's remember this for our main idea for today's sermon. You can go ahead and click the next slide for me; that'd be great. Um, this main idea for us today is that the Bible is the fully inspired, inerrant word of the one true living God. That is in our statement of faith. We believe that. We confess that. And today, hopefully, we're going to see the Bible tells us that that's exactly the way we should think about the Bible. And as we under- undertake this task of looking at and affirming our belief in the truth of the Bible, we, we, we have to understand that we need to know this, right? Because this is the source for us to know and understand and follow God, right? That's what the why right there. God's Word right there is sufficient to make us complete as believers and equip us for good works, for every good work, right? That's what that passage from 2 Timothy said. In this one simple line of 2 Timothy, we find something in our Bibles, though, that well, gives us great encouragement and gives us great insight and great instruction for what we're to know. It also causes us to, uh, to question what it is the Bible saying about itself, Right? there's an affirmation here of the Bible's truthfulness that we have to examine and we have to look at and we have to say, yeah, this is something worthwhile and it's true and it's valuable and it's something that we're going to to live by. All right. I think it's important right now to Sorry, I got lost in my notes for just a second there. But it's important, one of the claims that's in this text that we find here today, one of the claims we'll be examining is that uh, this text says that the Bible is, the Holy Scriptures are complete. They're complete, or that the man of God may be complete. That we have everything we need inside the Scriptures, right? And if we have everything we need to be made complete in Christ, if we have everything we need inside this source, then there is no other source for us as Christians for us to have to seek out to instruct our faith and our practice. There's no other place we have to go to find out who God is and who He wants us to be. We'll read other books, right? There's other things we'll read. We'll talk to other believers and we'll see, <clears throat> be encouraged by their faith, right? That's true. That's absolutely true. But as you read your Bible, right, and we see the claims that it makes along the way, it it gives us this statement that we have to consider Um that the Bible is affirming something about itself is that all of our conversations with our friends, right, that encourage us in the Lord, all of the other books that we read, that sit there and give us good things to uh, to help us understand our faith and our belief. Those things, if those things all pass away, and all we have is our Bible, we have everything we need to know who God is, to know what He wants from us, and to know how we should live our lives. All right, at Faith Baptist Church, we confess this to the world, and we affirm and believe the historic Christian belief that the Bible is the inspired and inerrant Word of God. Right? And I personally felt that this series was worthwhile for us to undertake, because as people who gather together to worship God and to encourage one another in our faith, we want to be able to tell the world there's a reason for the hope that we have inside of us. Amen? Amen. And we know there's a common set of beliefs that we all cling to, right? There's a common set that we all profess and we share together today that joins us as one body. And at the heart of that unity of the body, the the thing that sits at the foundation of that faith, of this church and of the church universal, is that common faith in Jesus Christ. That one time atoning sacrifice for sin that he made, the one who imparts righteousness that belongs only to himself on the people who are not righteous in and of themselves. People who, before being covered by Jesus, were, as the Bible says, by their nature, at war with God. We were far from Him, and we were wrestling against Him. We were people who were living for ourselves, far from God, living for our own pleasure and our own desires and our own self-satisfaction, rebels against a good and holy and just perfect God, that God is Yahweh from the Bible. That's the common foundation that we share, right? That is Christ. Christ is the one who brings us together to worship here today. He's the cornerstone to be built upon. And it was hearing that message of the gospel which opened our eyes to our sin and our need to be saved. And it's what has bound us all together here to come and worship and to encourage one another and to love one another and to pour into one another's lives, right? And to reach out into the community and to love our neighbor too. We want to see, we have a desire to see the hope of the good news that we have in Jesus, be taken and shared to those who are hopeless. We want to share a message of good news of great joy with those who need to hear it so desperately. This is the core message that brings us together to worship today, right? And while this message is at the heart of the Christian faith, making this claim and professing this belief in Christ, it naturally will raise questions that we have to answer, though. It will raise questions not only we have to answer, but we should be able to answer I kind of alluded to this verse already, but 1 Peter 3.15 puts it this way. Peter writes, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter tells us in his epistle, if someone comes to you and says, why didn't you laugh at that dirty joke at work? Why are you out giving up your time to help at Mel Trotter? Why are you out on the streets passing out tracts and talking to people about Jesus? What are you trying to do? What's, What's the goal there? We have to give a defense for that. We have to tell people, this is why, this is what we believe. This is why we believe it. And this is good news that we want you to hear too. So what would we say if we were questioning that situation? What would we give for the reason for the hope that we have within us. I'm asking us all that question right now this morning to make the point that our faith in Christ is not blind and we have a reason for our belief and we have evidence for the things to which we've been believed or to which we have believed about Jesus. Another, another verse of Scripture here that we can look at is 2 Peter chapter 1 in verses 16-21. to 21. Peter writes this, more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention has to well to pay attention to which you will do well to pay attention has to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried on along by the Holy Spirit amen 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 the word of god is not man's interpretation the word of god is not man's story that he's created the word of god is the word of god it is men carried along by the holy spirit putting this story down for us to have today Mm, sorry i'm struggling today guys Mm. all right so the claims peter makes here in his epistles it tells us what it tells us that what he's telling us this is not a myth This is not Hercules. This is not Zeus. This is not uh, Ra. This is not the Roman gods, the Egyptian gods. This is not the Hindu gods. This is not a myth. This is something that we have seen with our own eyes. This is not a story I'm making up to you. This message about Jesus, he tells us, comes from them hearing the voice of God coming from heaven, seeing this transfiguration of Jesus before their face. This message they are spreading comes from being eyewitnesses to His majesty. They are Um, are preaching these things that they have seen with their own eyes. And they're taking these things and they're writing them down and they're recording them to be passed along and to be passed along and to be shared with generations to come. And these things, as Peter has told us, right, they're pointing us to one person. They're pointing us to Jesus. We get another confirmation of this in in the Bible. In Luke 1, in the beginning of, of his Gospel narrative, Luke writes this. He says, "Inasmuch as they have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things, or in sorry in inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you." most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke's telling us here, this is a collection of writings right here. This is eyewitness testimony. Luke's saying he's working to create an orderly account, an account of the works of Jesus, so that this man that he's writing to, Theophilus, right, can have what? says have certainty about the things that you've been taught. That was the goal. The apostles were wanting to preach and present and give to people something that was real, something that had been seen. Not a myth, not a story, not something false to hold on to, but the real, true hope of a resurrected Savior. Luke is telling Theophilus here in Luke 1, there's good reason to believe this message. Theophilus, you've heard and you've had great hope from what you've heard And here are all the details that I've got that I can record and give to you to confirm the things that you've already heard are true. That's why we say that the Bible was just not written by men, but it was men who put pen to paper and were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They were writing down what they saw and what they heard about this man Jesus. They were writing this down to give us a reliable historical story of who Jesus is and what he did for us. It's an amazing gift, isn't it? Given to us by God, left here, uh, so nice and tidily bound for me now, be able to take wherever I want. Literally, you can access any version of the Bible you want on your phone, anywhere, anytime. An amazing gift. This has been compiled over the course of 1,500 years. This is the work of more than 40 different men taking pens, putting them to paper in both the Old and the New Testament. The Bible is a collection of historical documents that were written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. This is not intended to be a myth. This is not intended to be a story. This is not intended to be a moral lesson. This is intended to convey truth about who God is for us. That's why we have those two points we just covered there. I think in the Bible, this is exactly where we find the faith once for all delivered to the saints. This is where we find the testimony of Jesus. And what is the Bible? The Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents. That's what it is at its core. It's documents written down by men that we say are supernatural in origin and not merely the creation of man. And in this collection of historical documents, these 66 books that we have as we read them now, and as we're challenged by them, and we step back and we take in the beauty of this picture, of this story that God has created, this story of creation and rebellion and redemption and restoration, as we take in the beauty of this narrative that God has painted onto this canvas that we're all living as a part of right now, we have to understand that We know these things to be true because they come from the Word of God. That's the source. This is how I know about who Jesus is. Somebody told me about him, yes, but they only knew because they got it from here, too. So we have to always be ready to go back to the foundation, and we can never sit there and and give that ground over as we're trying to reach people with the gospel. We don't have to be afraid of the Bible because the culture says they don't like the Bible. This is the source of truth of God's revelation to us, and we can stand on that. One of the common critiques made by atheists against the Bible is that it's all over the place. The famous atheist named Sam Harris, who I've I've heard say that there's not a central idea in the Bible. The Bible is just a bunch of random things that were just kind of plopped down over the course of history. And to which I'm saying, I'm not really sure what Bible you're reading. Because through this collection of documents penned over the long course of the history of time. God has written this story through records of history, through statements of law, through poetry and wisdom, writings um, in the Bible that have come together in one story, one story, and through prophecy and through letters. God has woven uh, through this whole collection of these writings from all of these different people, one story that points us to his son, Jesus The Bible is where we find the reason why Jesus was coming to earth. Why would God have to condescend to man? Why would he have to leave his throne and come down to this world to walk among us? To be our example for us and what it looks like to live perfectly before God. To be a sacrifice for us. Why would he have to do that? We find it in the Bible. It's there, the Old Testament. The prophecies told us why he was coming. We have a record of His birth and His teachings. We have the story of the horror of His death. and We have the amazing beauty of His resurrection and His ascension. It's there. From start to finish, Genesis to Revelation, we see this one story woven together supernaturally by God. And if you want to know who Jesus is, there's only one place for you to look to find that information. We absolutely should proclaim Jesus with our words and we must proclaim Jesus with our lives, the way we live and treat one another. But the things we say and the way we live are found in the instructions we have in what we have here that we call the Word of God. We can't forget that. We can't neglect that. One of the battles we do face, even inside the church today, is over the infallibility and authority of Scripture. There's a popular pastor who talks about unhitching, the Bible, unhitching Christianity from the Old Testament and who says that the Bible is a house of cards and once you pull a card out, it all falls apart. But it's not. It's not a house of cards. It's one consistent story from Genesis to Revelation. And when we think like that, when we talk like that, it demonstrates to us that we've adopted philosophies that are not rooted In God, we've adopted worldly philosophies. We've adopted other ways of thinking about those things. And so we have to be willing to say, we believe the Bible is the true authoritative word of God, and it is where we find our instruction. It's where we find our hope of salvation. It's where we find our instruction for loving our neighbor and caring for the sojourner among us. All these things that we're called to do the light of Christ that we're called to be in the world, we find that here, and without this, we don't have it. So we can't give it up. Are there hard things for us to read in the Bible? Yes, there are. There are things that you'll read that'll make you cry. Welcome to being alive. I watch the news and I cry every day. That's the reality of humanity that's why we need Jesus. Just because there's things that are hard for us to read in the Bible, and there are things that we may struggle to understand as we read our Bibles, it doesn't mean we throw out our Bibles. We would be foolish to do so because we are giving up any ground that we have to stand on when we do. Because without this collection of historical documents that have reliable historical details and eyewitness testimony to the person and the work of Jesus, without the documents that detail this revelation of god to man what message do we actually have to take anybody what message of hope do we have for somebody that there is something beyond this world where all sin will be met with justice that the people the the, the children who are being abused in secret right now they will be they will be justified before the lord and the person who is doing that sin in secret will be held accountable for that the men who look and who strive and who worry and fret about our lives. What hope do we have if we don't have the sure message of the Scripture that our lives are not meaningless, we're not just stardust, we're not random chance or accidents, but we are fearfully and wonderfully made and we are put here to worship our Maker and our Creator. What message do we have to give to the world of hope if we give that up? Without the sure foundation that is Scripture, we're just telling—we're just people telling other people what we think God is like. And at the end of the day, who cares what we think? I know nobody cares what I think, especially my kids. Right? I get that every day at home. I'm just kidding. My kids are really good. I shouldn't—I uh, shouldn't joke like that. I love my children. Let us be people who don't just tell others what we think is true about God, but let us be people who stand on the truth of what we know to be true about the one true living God, Yahweh. Let's do this, and instead of being people who, when we struggle to comprehend our infinite God and what He's doing in history to show His glory to humans while bringing salvation and reconciliation... When we struggle to understand that, we struggle to see the story, we struggle to see how that fits together. Don't cast it aside because it's just easier to say it's not relevant. Let's take some time to ponder and consider that maybe God is a little bit bigger than us. Let's dig into His Word. Let's seek Him in every bit of the Bible. All right. I say all that in our introduction to get us to this point where we're going to look at some of the claims of His Word. So that hopefully we will see not just words penned by fallible man, but that truly what we have in our hands here is supernatural revelation about God given to us by God Himself. Lord, help me right now if I've set our expectations uh, immeasurably high at the moment. (laughs) Because that's a lofty goal and a task to do Uh, In the next uh, hopefully 20 minutes, before you guys probably run me off the stage, right? All right. There's a reason why I picked uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 as sort of our central text for today. Because I think, uh, as we talked about in the introduction and what we talked about, what we want to do and what we want to see in the scripture, 2 Timothy 3 is a great place for us to see in a very uh, condensed place, like two or three verses all of the truth that we just talked about right now. right In 2 Timothy 3, in three verses, we see why our statement of faith says what it does about our belief in the Word of God. In the second letter of Paul to Timothy, we see a theme throughout this epistle. Right, So if you go back and you reread, there's this central theme there of Paul encouraging Timothy to persevere through trial and through tribulation. Persevere in your faith, Timothy, through the midst of your suffering, through the midst of this hardship, And now here when we get to 1 Timothy 3, we see Paul in his writings reminding Timothy of his faith. Reminding Timothy of the faith that he has, but not only the faith that he has, but why he has the faith that he does. Let's look back at verse 14 and 15 really quick to see this small glimpse of it. Paul writes, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are to be able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Continue what you've learned and believed, Timothy, knowing that he has not just learned it from Paul. This isn't just Paul's words to Timothy he's just taken and run with. Knowing that he hasn't just learned it from his mother or grandmother. Timothy very obviously grew up in a home with a Christian mother and grandmother who taught him the faith. And who raised him in the faith? But he doesn't just believe it because he was raised that way. Timothy has been taught this faith from an early age, and he's been taught it by people who love him and who have helped raise him. But he's seen this truth. He's seen this truth in their lives, but he's seen this truth where? In the sacred writings. He's seen this truth in the sacred writings. Timothy has been instructed in his Bible. Timothy's heard these teachings of Paul, but like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, who heard the good news of the gospel that Paul has preached, Timothy opened up his Bible, and he said, Paul, I'm hearing what you're telling me right now. Does it match up with what God's already spoken to? Timothy had this familiarity with this, and he had this understanding of his Bible and what was written there, and this led to instruction in his faith. He had God's word so he knew what God was saying so he could test the things that other people were bringing to him. And these sacred writings, not only does he have this to be able to test it, but it says the sacred writings have made Timothy wise to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What books of the Bible does Timothy have? Did Timothy have First and Second Timothy? Technically, I guess he did, right? But... Did Timothy have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John? Maybe. They were circulating. He might have had those. And we know that the Scripture affirms from Paul and Peter that those are considered sacred writings. But what's the Scripture we know Timothy had? He had his Old Testament. How is this possible? How can Timothy writing Paul and remind him to look at the sacred writings To look at the Old Testament writings and remember the truth of who Jesus is. To remember the truth that it is in Jesus he is saved. It is in Jesus where his faith lies. And it's in Jesus where he has hope of something beyond this life and the suffering that he's facing right now. I think Paul tells Timothy this because Jesus told us this. Flip over to Luke 24 with me. We're going to read a small chunk of Luke 24 here that I think uh, will tie in very nicely to this. And if you see the outline on the screen, this is the part where we're looking at the sacred writings make us wise for salvation in Jesus. Luke 24, you can look at verse 13. Uh, Luke records this story. Now the same day, Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they had talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. imagine walking down the street and Jesus just comes walking up? Quite the the thing. I imagine I'd be like them and miss him. All right, sorry. Uh, In verse 17, he asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still. Their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. Think Jesus is being a little smart with him? Maybe, just a bit. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hope he was going he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that he had seen that they had seen a vision of angels, who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women said. But they did not see Jesus. And then he, being Jesus, said to them, How foolish are you, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Verse 27, listen to this one. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. How does Paul point Timothy to the Old Testament and say, remember the faith you have in Christ? Because Jesus told us to. These two men here on this road to Emmaus, post-resurrection, they're sitting here just having a nice conversation, chatting it up like, wow, what, what happened? Can you believe it? His body's gone? You think they took him? What do you, you, know, you can imagine the conversation they'd be having, right? They're sitting there talking about all this news, all this stuff that's going on in Jerusalem, all this hubbub, That's happening around them, and Jesus shows up and he walks on the road with them. And they try to get Jesus caught up on the gossip, right? He looks at these two and he tells them, You know this. You have your Bibles, you have the Old Testament, you have Moses, you have the prophets, you had David. How did you miss this? Jesus didn't leave him in that state though, did he? Amazing thing here, right? Jesus sat there and beginning with Moses and the prophets, showed to them all the things in the scripture concerning himself. That'd be quite the Bible study class, wouldn't it? I want to sign up for that one. Jesus, teach me from Moses and all the prophets where you're at, please. I'll do that. And these two men look at him and say, What do you mean, believe the prophets, Jesus? What do you mean? Look at Moses, Jesus. So Jesus sits down and he tells them, Let's look at those scriptures. Let's look at those scriptures that are there to make you wise, because in them we see Jesus. In the creation story in Genesis, in the garden, and when Adam rebels, we see Jesus. We see God show up and promise not to leave people in a state of sin and hopelessness and death forever. We see Jesus in Genesis 1. In the Passover story, we see Jesus. We see a people in slavery and bondage dying to be free, dying to go and worship their God. And we see God show up and say, I'm going to set you free. Take the blood of the Lamb, wipe it over your doorpost. And when the destroyer comes and brings his final curse upon Israel, You'll be passed over and you'll be safe. The blood of the lamb over the doorpost, covering the family, saving the family. We see Jesus in the Exodus, in the history of Israel, in the judges, in stories about people like Samson, who's supposed to be a judge, supposed to save Israel from the Philistines. And he fails and he chases after his own things. And how does Samson die? How does Samson die? He's in the middle of his enemies, beaten, mocked, scorned, and just like Deb said, sticks his hands out, using that last bit of strength that God gives him with his arms extended, crushing his enemies underneath their own house of worship there. We see Jesus in stories like Samson we see Jesus in the story of Ruth and Obed. Ruth, a Moabite. No right, no right to be a part of Israel. Naomi, I'm not leaving you. Your God will be my God, and your people will be my people. She's brought into the family of God. She's the grandmother. She's the grandmother of David, right? We see Jesus in Ruth. We see Jesus in the life of David. We see this king with a throne established forever, ruling over Israel. We see Jesus in the poetry and the wisdom of Solomon. We see the beauty and the love and the wisdom of this one who is the Word of God. We see Jesus. We see Jesus in the impending judgment of sin that comes from the prophets. And we see the restoration they promise that's going to come from this Messiah that God is sending. We see Jesus from start to finish, Genesis to Revelation. He is there, He is present, and He's looking for you to find Him. All throughout the Old Testament, we see the writers looking forward to this Messiah. We see the pronouncement of Jesus coming. Right from the very beginning of the book to put an end to sin and to bring salvation to all who put their hope and trust in Him. This is the Word of God. And I think here in one verse, in these, I, I said it when we started, in these two to three verses, we see all of the reasons why we attest uh, what we do about our belief in the Word of God. We saw that the writings, make us wise for salvation in Christ, right? That's kind of the first bit that we've looked at. But here we see another claim from the Bible. We see the Bible push us to test its own reliability. We see the Bible push us to attest that what it's saying is true and to look back through the Scriptures and to verify that truth. And verse 16 comes the next test for us. Verse 16 gives us another claim about its origin and nature that we have to examine for us, right? What does Paul write in verse 16? He says, All Scripture is breathed out by who? God. This is no minor passing phrase. This is a very intentional, deliberate phrase that um, reading some of the commentaries, Paul actually invented the word for us here. God breathed was not a word that was used prior to Paul using it in this situation. So obviously it was very intentional for Paul to phrase it like this, right? He's telling us that these scriptures, these words on the page that we have are not merely human in their origin. They are documents that have been penned to record history, to write songs of praise, to document these words of prophecy. And while men have had their hand on the pen, God has been the author. Yahweh has been the one breathing out. It's as if he is just speaking and the words are landing on the page. Right? I think that's the intention. That's the idea that Paul's trying to give us. These are not human words. This is not a myth or a story or made up. This is God speaking and the words landing on the page through his vessels that he put a a pin in their hand. I think the picture Paul's trying to paint is clear. The documents that we have collected for us and what we call our Bible now are not just human writings, but they are words of God and we should look at them. We should look at every one of them because in them all, we will profit from learning from them. We will profit from studying from them. We will profit from reading these words and examining ourselves to see if the way we think and the way we live line up to the heart and the desires and to the expectations of God. That's a really hard thing for me to tell you guys too because if you knew me when I was 14, right? Well, you probably wouldn't have ever expected to see me up here if you knew me when I was 14. But... (laughs) When I was 14, I was saved. Maybe false convert, possibly. But when I was 14, I heard, I heard the gospel, I saw good things about church, and I wanted a part of it. And the pastor sat down with me, and he gave me a copy of the New Testament. And he wrote down some notes in there for me and said, you know, you know I don't remember it all, but he just kind of said some things, and he told me, "This is read this. It's good for you. And I said, okay, cool, I will. 14, family, never grew up in church, Never talked about the things of God. Never heard the gospel in my house. And so I said, I think I believe this. And I think I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. So let's open up his word. This is going to be good for me. This is going to be really good for me, right? And I open up to Matthew 1. And I read the genealogy of Jesus. And as a 14-year-old with no family ties to church, no history in the Bible, I look at that and I close the Bible and I probably don't pick it up for a very long time again. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know that inside this genealogy is God working out the history of salvation through that. I didn't see the beauty of the story that can be told in a list of names. right? I didn't see the fact that this list of names attest to the truthfulness. right? You don't, you don't find a genealogy in mythological stories, do you? i didn't know those things i didn't see them praise god praise god for faithful men who sat down and have opened the scripture and have shown me the beauty and the truth of it now that's the challenge for all of us in here amen there is truth and there is instruction and reproof and rebuke in every page of the bible for us even the hard ones even the ones with lots of names we can't pronounce don't give up don't run away don't let it go and let the world tell you it's not important. It's a myth. Scripture is breathed out by God, every bit of it. And if we're struggling to understand it, that's okay. We all do. It's okay. You don't ever have to be afraid to come to a Bible study and say, I'm really struggling to understand what God's telling us here. why so we're here to encourage and love one another and to work out this faith that he's given us together. Amen? Amen. All right, let me get back to my notes trying to try and figure out where I'm at. We're going to profit from every word that God has written in this book. We're going to profit from studying them. We're going to profit from reading these words, examining our lives. And we're going to profit in our lives how we treat our husbands or our wives, how we treat our kids, how we treat our neighbors. It's going to change everything about us. Because that's who God is. He comes in, he takes people who are dirty and sinful and selfish, and he turns us into people who want to show and demonstrate the love of Christ everywhere we go because of the great joy that he's given us from that, right? So, Ephesians 5 1 tells us, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. He's made us beloved children. So, what's our response? Be imitators of Him. Be imitators. Walk in love as Christ loved and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So, we want to imitate God? Guess what? Christ died for us. You died for your wife lately, men? Ladies, have you given yourself up for your children and your families the way that you should have? Have you loved your neighbor the way we should have? No, we haven't. I know we haven't. I know myself. I know my sin. I know I struggle and I fall. That's the challenge, though, right? The challenge is to be imitators of God. We are beloved children. Walk as Christ has with love. Giving Himself up for us. Give yourselves up. How do we walk in love as Christ loved us? How can we be imitators of God? Oh boy. I have to speed up pick and pick up pace. <laughs> How do we do it? We can't do it in ourselves, can we? I mean, we just acknowledge the fact I stood up in front of you and I told you I know I have not loved my wife the way I should have this week. I failed and I've been impatient and unkind and unloving towards her. How do I do it? There has to be a standard we have to live by, right? I can't just make it up as I go along and think I'm getting it figured out. We have to have a standard to judge our lives and our actions by. And Paul makes the claim here in Second Timothy that these sacred writings that Timothy has, that this book now that we have bound together for us gives us that very thing. It gives us the very words of God to give us this instruction for life. This book has words that will, that will bring your life or that will bring you life this book has words that you need to truly love your neighbor. This book has wisdom and instruction so you can strive to be like your Savior, Jesus. That was The second claim that I think we see there is that Word of God, valuable for all kinds of instruction, right? Paul elaborates on that. Or Sorry, we looked at that there. But Paul elaborates upon that idea that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, for teaching, for a proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, when he says in verse 17 at the end of that, so that the man of God may be worked on, improved a little bit. Complete. Complete. And equipped for every good work. these sacred writings, Paul tells Timothy, have everything you need to be a man of God in how you worship and how you live your life. If Timothy had nothing else no other writings, no other information from any other sources, he wouldn't miss anything because in these sacred writings Paul tells him, you have everything you need to be complete in Christ right here with what you've got. This is why the last little bit of our statement of faith says this. It says, the Bible has supreme authority in all matters of our faith and conduct. This is why that statement, or why that phrase is in our statement of faith. Our faith and belief is in Jesus Christ alone. And for us to know who he is and what he's done and how he wants us to live, how he wants us, like I said, to treat our spouse, our neighbor, to imitate him, we have to have the record of who he is, how he lived, and what he did. And we believe as a church that the Bible has supreme authority in all matters of our faith and conduct. Because it is the place we go to find the prophecy of Jesus coming. It's the place we go to find the story of Israel and how Jesus came through this line of Abraham. It is the place we go to see Jesus walking this earth. To see him teaching. To see him healing. To see him confronting sin. And it's where we go to find the beautiful words of the gospel. It's where we go to be encouraged in our faith. like Places like Ephesians 2 where Paul tells us, God's messaged us. He writes, And you were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of great love in which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Where do we find that message? Where do we find that message of hope? One place in our Bibles. That's why we don't give up the sufficiency of Scripture. That's why we say it is, as our our statement of faith says, the supreme authority in matters of faith and conduct. We believe that to be true. We know God has worked on us and done a work in us that we could never have done. And now we want to live like Him. There's implications for us from this statement uh, in our statement of faith, right? There's implications for us there. And that's that last slide there. So I have a surprisingly number of pages left in my notes. So (sighs) I'll uh, I'll try to wrap it up quick. I think the first implication for us, as we read God's Word, we ponder the statement of faith, we ponder what it is we say we believe about this, is that we have to examine ourselves and what our view of the Bible actually is. There was a time in Western culture where the commonly held view of the Bible is what we say it is in our statement of faith. That was the time in Western culture. If we're honest with ourselves, we'll admit that time has passed. I think if we look back at the history of the the last few centuries, we see alternate philosophies creeping in and uh, being embraced. Uh, Modernism in the 19th and 20th century, uh, which was an effort to chip away at the commonly held view of the Bible, replacing it with uh, materialistic means to being um, what Paul would describe in 2 Timothy is complete, right? We don't need God. We have material things. We have what's in front of us. In other words, man doesn't need God. Man does not require a special revelation from God because everything we need can be found in the study of the material world the growth of knowledge of how things work in this world, the development of technology, to the modernist philosophy, this is what makes humans complete. This makes humans the writers of history rather than the people who are made to worship the one who has made all of history. Modernism was followed up with a new school of thought, a new worldview, which continued to work to create doubt of the Bible's authority and sufficiency and its claims of truth. Some of you may have heard this phrase before, uh, postmodernism. If you haven't heard it, it's something I know you're familiar with, right? Because if I tried to give you a one word definition of postmodernism right now, it would be relativism. We're all familiar with relativism, too, right? That sits at the heart of postmodernism, the line of thinking that there is no absolute truth. We've all heard it, right? Your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. That's a popular belief today, isn't it? Cuz people believe in light of postmodernism and the the sort of uh, roots that it used to grow through our culture that what is true is only true because you've experienced it. And I don't have enough time right now to rabbit trail on the logical inconsistencies that makes me want to rip my hair out on that statement. Um so maybe we could all get together and talk about that sometime later. But I think we can all see the damage that relativism has done to western society in working to remove a common understanding that truth is objectively true. And if something is not objectively true, then it isn't truth. That's the logic of it. It can't be true for me and true for you. One of us is lying. I didn't mean to give you a a philosophy lesson here, but I say all this because I want us to be asking questions about how and what and why we believe about the Bible. We spent time in 2 Timothy 3 today to see the Bible makes claims about itself that cause us to look at what Paul is writing. And we have to ask ourselves when we see these claims to say, is what's being said here true? Is it a true record of history? Is what we have truly the Word of God? Does it live up to the claims that we've been given? The claims about the Bible require us to believe what it says. Because if the things about the Bible says about itself aren't true, then we don't have a sure word from God. And the faith we learn and preach and we share is worthless. That may sound kind of harsh. And you may say, how can you say that, Matt? But I say that because I think Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15. Here in 1 Corinthians, Paul is affirming the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And he's affirming that because Christ raised from the dead, there will be a resurrection of the dead as well to follow. And we pick up in verse 12 where he tells the Corinthians this. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? How do we know Christ was raised from the dead? It's proclaimed in the Bible, right? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. In other words, if the words we've told you, if the words from Scripture don't line up and don't match, if it's not true and the, the things that it says are happening and are real or not real, then we've lied to you, and it's not true. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul's making a truth claim about what they're teaching, about what's been written in the Scripture. And he's saying that if we're telling you is not true, then you guys are a bunch of suckers. And people should laugh and mock you. That's the reality of it. That is the claim the Bible makes about itself. That's why we ask this question here and now. Why we examine the claims what the Bible says. Because if it's not true, it's not true. But it is. We affirm that as a church. We believe that. We see the hope and the joy and the beauty of that. And that is true amongst all cultures and all nations. Brother Jeffin shared a story with me recently about a, a, a brother of his back in India, where he's from, that um, was witnessing to someone who was a, um, a Muslim witch doctor in his village. And he gave this, his brother gave this man, who identified himself as a Muslim witch doctor, a copy of the New Testament. He told him, He said, read this. Read this. This is who God is. And an amazing testimony. Several weeks later, that man went back and this man who was a Muslim witch doctor came out to him and said, I read that book you gave me several times. The God in this book is the one true living God, and I believe that. Amazing story of God working through his word. Someone who has identified himself as a Muslim witch doctor can see their sin and their need for a savior just by taking this book, opening it up, and reading it and seeing who God truly is. And that leaves us with this question when we say, what do we believe about the Bible? Because the Bible doesn't leave us with a choice to pick and choose the things we like and don't like. It describes itself as the Word of God. It describes itself as the Word of God that has power unto salvation, right? And that's why we look in every corner. We read every genealogy, every bit of law, every word of poetry, every song of praise, every prophecy every record of the life of Jesus and the resurrection, every letter written for the instruction of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus, every part of it has something for us to learn about who God is and who He wants us to be. So we look at the Bible as it claims itself to be, as the authoritative Word of God, that we read and we see the beauty of the story of God's redemption. We see that in our own lives, according to, to uh, what we see in the Scripture describe ourselves, and we take that message and we share it with people who desperately need to hear of God's grace and mercy themselves. There's an alternate option too to believing what the Bible says is true about itself. And we can look at the Bible through man-made philosophies and we can look at it um, in a way that it tells us that we shouldn't. I don't think the Bible gives us that option. And we need to be honest about that. Christians cannot give up the truth of the Scripture just because people don't agree with us. This is one of the beautiful things, too, about living where we do, right? In America, we have the freedom to go and discuss and talk about and debate and affirm God's, words, God's word freely. And we want to do those things, not to pick fights, right? Like Peter said back in First Peter, we don't want to pick fights with people. We don't want to just be an annoyance. We want to be a pest. We want to take these words out because it's a message of hope for the world, and we want to see our friends and our neighbors and even our enemies filled with this same hope that Christ has given us. But if we give up the Word of God, we have nothing to take to the world. If we give up the authority of Scripture and we give up the message and where it comes from, we've given up any truth and beauty and joy that we have to give to the world in Christ. So don't give that up. Don't be bullied into thinking that you're lesser than because you don't affirm these aspects of culture and philosophy and science. Stand on the Word of God and be ready to defend it. Second question that we have to... Second thing, and we'll hopefully be really quick. Really simple. Two words. Read it. We say we believe it. We say in our statement of faith that it has the supreme authority for all life and conduct. Do we read it? Do we know what it says to guide our life and our conduct? Because there's things in there that we'll probably read and are probably going to have to change some things in our lives. And I don't care what side of whatever aisle or wherever you're coming from, whatever... There's things that will offend everyone in the Bible. But we want to be transformed to be like Christ. We want to line up to be like Christ. And so we need to read it, and we need to be in it. And it's hard to do because the world is coming at us and keeping us busy and keeping us distracted. I was listening to uh, something related to this topic from uh, a brother, Paul Washer, recently. And there was a great, small quote that he had in the middle of it that highlights this point, I think. He says, This, the question is as individuals, are we taking scripture seriously? It is easier to have your life put in jeopardy for preaching the gospel, to do something extraordinary like that, it is easier than simply being obedient to the simple things of Christianity every day. He says, I have no doubt that there are men and women here that if they were told to deny the Bible or die, they would die. What is difficult is the daily routine of being faithful day in and day out in the things that are considered simple. We believe the Bible. We affirm its sufficiency, its inerrancy. We affirm its guide for conduct in our lives. As many have said throughout history, God wrote a book. That's what we have in our hands. God has written a book. If I told you right now God wrote a book, isn't that something you're going to want to read? For us today here, we have to be careful not to get lost in the mundane daily routine of life and neglect the place we know we can go to learn more of who God is, for us to learn more of how He wants us to live. Because we want to be those living sacrifices described in Romans 12.1, right? We want to be people who can test and discern what is from God in Romans 12.2. And as a church, right here today, we profess to the world that piece of our statement of faith We believe the Bible is the Word of God, fully inspired, without error in the original manuscripts, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and that it has supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. We believe that. There are words of life, encouragement, and hope that God has given us in this book. And we may have to walk through stories that may make us feel uncomfortable, and we may have to spend time thinking about things that we don't necessarily immediately understand, don't walk away from the Word of God. Press on. Work through the mundane tasks of life. Let's be equipped for good works, like Paul tells Timothy, right? Let's be imitators of Christ who saved us from our sin and reconciled us as God. Paul writes in Romans I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. We have no reason to be ashamed today, church, no matter what the world says, of where that powerful message of salvation can be found. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you. God, I thank you for um, everybody here just being alert and aware and um, nobody nodding off as I stand up here and rant, Father. I pray that what came out, Lord, was all glorifying to you, God, and whatever wasn't. Father, let it fade away, Lord. Let the live stream skip those moments so nobody ever has to hear them ever again. Father, let us hold fast to your word today. Like the song we read earlier, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." Give us grace right now to trust you more, Lord. Let us believe. Let us tell the world what we believe. Let us never be ashamed or afraid because, Lord, we have hope in our lives that we want to share with everybody around us, God. Lord, strengthen us today. Use us today. Use us. Help us stand on the sure word that you've given us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.